I struggle when I'm in that in between. So what I do is I choose, right? It's like, I don't, I don't want one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. So when I feel that in content, I make a, a direct decision immediately as soon as I feel it. So once I feel it, make the decision. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wayla. Today, I have Jared Cott with Marblestone in the house. Jared, my man, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to sit down and chat. I've been looking forward to this one for some time. You and I got to know each other at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. It was a wild adventure. We're going to cover that and more. But let's start out with your background. How did you get into the industry? So I got into the industry by actually getting fired. I was a um, insurance guy, reinsurance. I just say insurance because it's easier. Um, led teams, flew around the country, was having a blast. And as they say, sometimes the rug gets pulled from you. So I got a phone call on February 13th of 2013. And they said, do you know where conference room B is? And I said, yes, I do. It was New York City uh, HR. And I said, I think I'm on the chopping block. So um, I always wanted to get into real estate. Uh, I didn't have the courage to leave kind of a cushy, cushy job. corporate salary. So uh, I believe that something bigger than me was like, listen, I'm going to do this for you. So it was scary. Um, it was absolutely scary because I said, you know, it was cushy, but it was my chance. And uh, that was a Friday. I went and had a lunch with an um, attorney friend of mine that, that did some real estate. And I said, what should I do next? And he said, go take a class. And we jumped online and uh, I took a local, there's a local lender called CIC. They had a property management class starting that Monday. And that, that's how it began. I love the reconstruction of these narratives, right? At the time, it was just you got fired. Yep. But in hindsight, it looks like it was the opportunity, the door opening to fuel your next adventure. That's right. That's right. So the interest in real estate, that can go in so many different directions. What specifically was interesting about property management? Uh, nothing. At the time, to be honest <laughs> okay. with you. So I, I was like, I'm going to be an investor. Okay. I don't want anything to do with property management. Um, but I wanted to kind of learn what, it, what is it like to manage, right? So I, I lived downtown Chicago in a high rise. I had a motorcycle at the time. And in the spring, summer, fall, I would just drive down Lakeshore Drive. It was a beautiful ride on the bike. And I would see neighborhoods begin to change, right? So downtown was very stable. Lots of income, and you can go three, four miles, 30, 40 blocks, and there are some blocks that look like bombs went off. So I started writing down addresses, blocks that looked decent, right, that could possibly mm -hmm. change, that were close to the lake. And at the time, they were, uh, we call them flats, two-unit buildings, brick, where, um, you know, needed, needed a little bit of work, but they were, they were trading less than... $50,000. So I thought the worst thing that could happen is I can lose $50,000. This That's is my floor. Shot. It's my floor. I'm going to take the shot. So, so you get in with a couple of these properties. I got in, um, went through all my cash really quick, made a lot of mistakes. I was drawing directly from a 401k. I didn't have a team behind me with accountants or advisors or anything like that. I would have totally changed it up, but lesson learned. Um, <clears throat> so 
you know, kind of fast forward, I grabbed five or six of these. I'm not a construction guy, right? So I learned, I took a real beating on uh, in the beginning, getting beat up by burn contractors, but everything was a lesson, mm -hmm. right? If it was, could be, some of it was time, some of it was money, a lot of it was money in the beginning. Um, but as we move on, let's say there was 10, 12 free and clear units. And that I'm you're like, managing yourself. Yeah. And I can tell you a couple quick stories about why not to do please, that and why I please. hated it. Um, you know, I did everything wrong. It was, and I took the class. I thought I knew stuff, but it was like, get to know the tenant, anything they need, offer them. So I gave them my cell phone. Oof. I said, anything you need, Jordan, you call me. And for a couple months, it was great. Nobody called me. And then, you know, <laughs> then I'd be out to dinner and a Friday, Saturday night, my phone would ring and somebody would say, the lady on the second floor is banging her music. You got to stop this. And it was just chaotic. I said, I don't, I don't want to do this. And that's, be, that's, that's when I began to hire uh, some people, put some layers in between. Because um, I'm just, I'm not really built for that. You know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a visionary. But I don't think you go from just being a, you don't just become a visionary and launch without getting your, without taking your lumps, if you will. So all these things were lessons that I learned on the road. So that's the direction that you went immediately was to build up some staff around it as opposed to hiring a third party management company. Yeah. I believe that in the areas that I were, that, that, um, that I was buying, um, I, I made some calls and then this kind of leads into how Marblestone got created. I made five or six calls when my blood pressure got high enough. And uh, that was somewhere between 20 and 30 units of my own and just said, I'm out, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And nobody called me back. It was unbelievable. So I said, this is an awful sign. Like it, this is <laughs> not awful. a good start. It's not going to yeah. get better from here. It's not going to get better. So, um, you know, this is probably 2014 ish now. And I just said, I'm going to have to figure this out because I'm not going to, I have nothing left, right? All of my life savings is laid up all my time. I'm too proud to go back to reinsurance, right? And I've started to build this thing. So it was, that was the turning point where it's like, there is no going back. And may, maybe in the first year, I would say I'm 60% in. Now I'm like, I've got to be all in. Mm. All my mm. chips need to be in to make this work. So uh, that's how... That's how it started. So it's going to be a pass-through company. Now I've got a little small team of accountants and attorneys that I'm talking to. It's going to be a pass-through company for the holding assets. And uh, at the time, I was doing some just telling my story, like I'm telling you, around Chicago, small meetups, no, you know, free of charge and stuff. And people would say, "I've got a two flat right down where where you are. You want to manage it?" And I said, "No, I have enough headaches of my own." So I probably passed on. I, I know I passed on so many opportunities and, and some, finally some girls in the office said, why aren't we doing this for other people? Because you're complaining about all the cost and everything. And I said, you know what? I, I really like that idea. Let's take them on. So we slowly started adding. So it was meant to be uh, like a self-service self -service for my own assets. And then it organically sort of grew. And what's the experience been in hindsight, self-managing versus managing for others? What's the real difference between doing it for yourself? I mean, common story about it in terms of how folks get in the business, right? Very mm -hmm. common story. What's the fundamental difference of doing it for somebody else versus yourself? Do you treat your properties any different? Give me the skinny. No, nah, it's, all, it's all the same. But I, I'm the kind of guy where it's like, I don't want to learn with your money. Right, which is why I made all my mistakes first on your own dime. Right, so there was also that 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 level of comfort and experience that came, and that was also part of the story that I told owners. Like I, I've done what you're doing. 
Don't do it. Don't give them your cell phone, right? Don't do, you know, so all of those things became part of, I don't like the word sales pitch, but it became sort of the, you know, the journey of the call. And, and it was just, oh, it was honest and organic and open and business just started to flow in naturally. Now we turn away a lot of stuff because you can't, my model was, um, it's a little different now, but I would take stuff to the studs, put it back. I don't want crazy deferred maintenance. I have to worry about, mm-hmm. we weren't making them into the Taj Mahal, but it was definitely a top of top of class in C minus areas, C and C minus. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I look for owners that were either willing to do that or were buying assets that were kind of fell into that, um, you know, that, that level. So let's fast forward to today. How many units do you have under management now? So management's 370. And what does the staff headcount look like? Uh, we've got seven people in the office and a uh, half dozen guys in the field. It's very, very high touch in the, in the areas that we are. A lot of maintenance calls. We do, our book is 70% subsidized. So that's city, county, state agencies, a lot of site visits to meet with inspectors. It's um, the Chicago Housing Authority inspections all the time. So there's all sorts of manpower needed for that. Tell me more about working within that regulatory environment. Was that something you had to learn the ropes yourself? And what, what, how do you, maybe you don't have the direct experience because you haven't worked in another market, but what is unique to having to comply with those rules and regulations? It's a great question. You need to know it's a lot of red tape and a lot of a lot of details to it, right? So what we've done is we believed in like just let's get the process down. Let's understand what's needed to get somebody in, right? And let's then let's look at the time it takes, right? How long does an inspection take? What's the consistency look like? Is there any consistency? If there isn't, can we fix it in a huge city like Chicago? So like now Marblestone sits on um, on owner council boards. We we act as um, a sounding board actually for the Chicago Housing Authority. We're really proud of that. But it's it's taken time and um, sort of build those relationships. And But I, I also look at it like I can't – in a challenging market in low income, I can't shake somebody down for money. What I can do is fix something if something's broken. And what we can do is work out, you know, personality issues if need be. So the reason I went that path is one, it's in huge demand. And two, I don't like the word guarantee. Nothing's guaranteed, but it's a nice hedge Mm -hmm. for me as well as investors. And, you know, I, I, I'm very open about this. I don't, I don't see a lot of investors coming to the South side of Chicago because they want to change people's lives. They may say it, and they may have a slogan that says changing lives through real estate. And I think that's fantastic. And I think there's ways to do that. But the real reason they're there is to chase cash flow and yield. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do that, let's follow this program. This is the way to do it. Because you're not going to go to an, into a low-income neighborhood, push up rents, and, and think it's going to be successful without some sort of subsidy. That's, that's my take on it. No, a lot of people hear subsidy, Section 8, Class C, and intuitively and reflexively, maybe not having done it, maybe having done it, they think you can't make any money doing that. One of the things that I know about you and that I appreciate about you is that you are minding and aware of the numbers. I know that you're a profit coach client yeah. and I know that you're paying attention. Talk to me about how your financial IQ has evolved over time getting deeper in the numbers. <laughs> 
Well, you know, at first it's just sort of one big bucket, right? It's like, and I'm going to talk about my, my own assets for a little bit, and then we can kind of merge into the, the third party management. But it's like, at first, all I wanted to do was pay the mortgages. Let's just make sure the notes were paid. <clears throat> then, okay, what, what can we do to fine tune this, right? What are we doing wrong? A lot of times it was, it was us. It was, it was spending too much with wrong contractors. It was getting overcharged, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a buying an asset or being all in on a unit for 75,000 and having, you know, 12, 1250 in rents. That's, that'll work, right? It's, it's all that in between stuff that we kind of fine tune. So, uh, the third party piece is kind of looks like there's going to be more expenses because there's more touches, right? Mm -hmm. And more touches could mean more maintenance calls, but it's, it's just going to add up with the amount of time that we have to be at the building compared to what we call a market tenant, right? But with that being said, there's, you can still get in at such a low entry point that there's, there's margin there to, to be made. But, but you have to explain that, you know, out of the gate, you know, you can't just, it's much different underwriting a, a subsidized housing than it would be, you know, a regular market market tenant, you know, in terms of pro formas and spreadsheets. So we we always like to be open about that in the beginning and say, how are you seeing this? What do your numbers look like? Because we manage, you know, over 300 of these and this is what we see. So in terms of the operational financial metrics for the third party management that you're looking at, what are you paying attention to on an ongoing basis to maintain your grip on the finances and to hit your financial goals? Yeah. So maintenance costs is going to be a big one. Um, we've, we've got to have, and we're proud of this number and it's, it's helped because we pay close attention to it with the numbers of profit coach, um, unit turns. They've got to be done quick when somebody moves out because vacancies will kill you, right? Rent collections is a huge one. Right now we're sitting, I mean, it's it's subsidy, but that included in that there's portions and we're sitting at 95% collection hmm. in a true C, C minus area. That's a proud number. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, and everything else that comes with that. But you got to stay on top of these things because like one vacancy can can knock out your your profitability for the year. If it, if it hangs on too long. So what do you do at, to create value in the organization? It sounds like a, a somewhat awkward question, but the reality is that different owners relate to the business in different ways. You meet all types. You mm -hmm. got the sales types, you got the marketing types. That's my personal bent. You have the engineering types. What is the, the primary value that you aspire to create for your organization as its leader? So my, my, my view starts on, starts within, right? So I want, I want employees. I want to build them up. Okay. And, and if, if you choose to, we can go down this road. Like I feel like I'm kind of a second chance guy, right? I like underdogs. I like them in football, I like them in basketball. And I like them in life. I just think they're gritty. They're grindy. So, um, where I'm going with this is is my uh, almost everyone in my staff has some unique story about them, right? I want to get to know them on the core level. If if they've um, nobody's been you know just handed or eaten out of a silver spoon, right? We've all had some sort of journey that we're on. So when you can create that in terms of a, a core value, right, and then we can help. I can help them kind of develop skill sets to get better, right? And learn. I want them to learn the business. And one of the one of the things that we just got done with um 
Q2 planning is in tw- in the next 12 months, I want everybody on the staff, so all six people, to have some sort of ownership in an asset or or have a home. And right now, that's um, we're about 50% of the way there. Mm. Yeah. So if we if you start with that value of everyone being gritty, grindy, right? One of our core values is uh, I don't know if you need to edit this, but we get shit done, mm-hmm. right? And that's important to us. So if you can understand the business, you get stuff done, no excuses. Now you learn the business, right? I don't want to be the only guy and I don't want BDMs being the only ones talking to owners about how how does this all work? I want everyone to know it, right? So it all kind of goes into sync. And I think that makes us really unique. So you're trying to take that uh, owner facing outcome of building something, of having a financial opportunity, yeah. push push that deep into the organization. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we t- we also tell that story with, with the owners because if it's um, we're very and we understand that not not everybody is relationship driven. We are. I mean, it's in my core. So if it's just going to be transactional, there's there's other people you can call. They might not call you back as quick. They may not be as good, but it can work for you. Like we want to really get to know the owner. So knowing the owner isn't just like, where are you from? What's the asset about? What What are your goals? How many assets do you want to buy? How can we help you get there? Right? Let us help you. Let us help you guide. Because I've walked through and stepped on a bunch of landmines. That's really important to us. Where does that relational people first orientation come from, from, from your background? <sighs> I've been searching on it and digging deep on that. Um so my mom, my mom was a social worker in the state of Connecticut. I think, you know, growing up with, with her, that's a big piece. And my, my dad's always been a, you know, had the gift of gab. So if you kind of combine those two, you just, you get this. This orientation. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit about the journey that we shared together in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I didn't know you before that. I saw your name pop up on a spreadsheet and I thought, well, you know, this, this should be interesting to get to meet sure. somebody new. And what we were doing was a, ostensibly was a rim to rim to rim hike in the Grand Canyon. It ended up being a rim to rim for the vast majority of us. We were raising money for Operation Underground. We were masterminding and networking with a great group of people. And we were also pushing ourselves to our limits. That's the tee up. Jared, I'd love to chat a little bit specifically about what what your journey and experience was like on that trip. It was, it was, and you know it, man, it was life-changing, right? So um, uh, I'm an emotional guy. I'm not going to get emotional now, but uh, it's just, there's some, sometimes in life, you know, we, we just, we get asked to do things and um, life kind of takes us on these journeys and it presents it. And the first thing for me is, is to say, to say yes. Right. And, um, Mark Ainley, who's a dear friend of mine, also in the Chicago market, um, was the guy that asked me, he goes, Hey man, you want to do this thing? And, uh, he shot me a, a, a video with you guys. And I watched that video and, and I'm like, man, these guys are crazy. Like walk the Canyon. But there was this part of me that was kind of intrigued by it. And, uh, you know, a year ago I was, a uh, yeah, I was a few ounces away from 300 pounds, right? Right now I'm sitting around, I'm in the two thirties. Um, so turning point number one was the, just saying yes. And Mark helped me with that right out of the gate. I I said, Mark, I'm not ready for this. And he goes, you don't need to be ready. It's not till July. The second part was July 17th, the actual day of the walk. That's a special day for me. It was the day I had my last drink of alcohol Mm. and, um, yeah, 13 years now on that. So it was like, 
it's just a sign. Like you gotta, you have to do this. And the odds of that, I'm a numbers guy. It's one hundred. It's one in three hundred sixty-five. <laughs> so like, take the shot. You know. So I started training and walking. Um, it, it, but Chicago's flat, right? And um, the Grand Canyon is not. And I dropped some weight, and I felt confident in the changes that I saw. Um, getting there was magical. Um, you know, going down the descent, the sunrise, right? Like I could beautiful scenic, see it, majestic, right it's absolutely stunning. Uh, the energy, the people, but somewhere, you know, if we go, if we just chop it up, if it was twenty four miles or whatever, eight, eight, and eight, the first eight was a blast, and then like the second, like so, we move into the second eighth of this, this the flatter this, phase, the flatter phase, and you know, it's it's hot. And, it, you know, my mind started racing a little bit. I'm like, damn, there's a long way to go here. I wasn't thinking about even getting out. But my biggest fear, and I, and I said this to my, my wife, was like, I don't want to get stuck in there. And she's like, you're not going to get stuck in there. And, uh, and then I said, the other thing is I don't want to be the guy that slows everybody down. And she's like, you're not going to slow everybody down. Uh, well, I did those two things, right? I almost got stuck, and I definitely slowed everybody down. But... Um, let me tell you a little bit about what I learned. Those were the fears that came true, mm. but through those, um, I did slow everybody down, but I learned something about myself and I learned something about like human beings and in, in general, mm. especially this crew, nobody cared. Mm. I cared. I put that pressure on me. Everybody else, right. Was there to help. Everybody else was like, we're getting out of here together. And I told them, guys, listen, I'm going to stay here. You got a long, I'm not going, I'm not going back, by the way. And they were like, yeah, joke's on you. We knew that in the first eighth mile, right? So um, it, it's just amazing, the support, the journey. Um, but it was, it was tough for me. It took me 21 hours to get across that thing. And what came of it was uh, a choice, a decision to live intentionally, a major um, improvement with my health. You know, and I'm, I don't mean just weight. I'm talking about how I'm spending my time, mental health, what I'm worrying about, what I'm spending time on, um, whom, I'm, whom I'm spending time with. I'm sort of protecting that. And also it's, it's reconnected me with, uh, with nature. As a kid, I loved hiking around the East Coast in Connecticut. I didn't do that for 30 years. Now I'm looking for ways to escape to do little hikes in the Midwest and mm. stuff. So um, really, really special time for me. Um, it led me to be super close with you. Like if you said to me, hey, man, I need, I need a thumb, I'd give it to you. <laughs> you crossed the canyon with me. I mean, man. it's special. Yeah, there really was some real bond there. When people are hearing this story, some of it may not completely make sense if you haven't done it. When you say that there's no way out, what's meant by that is that there are no bus stops. There is no yeah. ranger pickup station. In theory, they talk about a helipad somewhere down there if there's mm -hmm. some kind of an emergency. But the reality is no one cares because there's no one there. You're just you're in the you're in the you're canyon. The canyon. So if you were screaming flailing at the top of your lungs there's a good chance that nothing would happen for hours at a time because there's nobody else there how many people do you think we saw on the backside of the canyon as we were exiting i i remember maybe and this is going in i, I think i got out around 1 30 a.m uh, on a start of whatever four o'clock and i 
let's just, I mean, everything kind of is a blur, but let's call it midnight, 1230-ish. I remember seeing one couple, you know, headlamps. So they were going down the north and we were going, trying to get out of the north. And, um, you know, I was at a crawl pace and I remember looking at them saying like, how, how far? Like how much, cause that's my only real yeah. understanding of how much more is left here. Yeah. Cause Tony, who I love and Mark were like, and Peter, they were all like, yeah, no, it's a couple more switchbacks, <laughs> but they did that intentionally. Cause they didn't want to like bust. break you. Yeah. It yeah. would have crushed me if they're like, listen, man, you got like two and a half more miles and it's straight up. Right. I would have just been like, that's it. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. done. I'm done. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So not many at all. It was like one, maybe two couples. And they just said, you're almost there. And I'm like, wow, that's great. But I wasn't okay. there. It was hours. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, I my experience was not that dissimilar from yours, at least in the sense that I recognized that I was underprepared and incorrectly prepared. And mm. it was really, really humbling. I was underprepared in the sense that I simply could have done dramatically more. I was ill-prepared in the sense that some of the things that I did do weren't helpful, like cycling. Yeah. I did a lot of cycling in advance. That did nothing for my feet in terms of preparing my sure. feet. So my feet at the bottom when we were at Phantom Ranch enjoying some lemonade, mm -hmm. that's when some of the blisters started coming up. Uh, so a couple of people had syringes pop them. To, to pop them and drain out the liquid, band-aid it up. There was all kinds of conventions and best practices, but nothing beats raw yeah. preparation and just being physically in shape to right. do it. I wasn't quite there. And it was terrifying to think that I've asked other people to do this and to come here. I've made some invitations and here I am and I am not in a position to help other people. I am just barely able of my own power and recognizance able to get out of this thing. And it was an absolute crawl getting out of there yeah. one step at a time. There's some kind of um, a metaphor in that, just that raw persistence of what it devolved to, the slow, yep. unrewarding, excruciating <laughs> persistence required. It wasn't yeah. sexy, it wasn't glamorous, but it was what was necessary yeah. and paired with will I mean, that's what the experience was for me. And I, I know that's what it was for you 100%. as well. What, what was left when all of the physicality faded away, what was left was raw will. Yeah. And absent that, both of us would have been SOL. That's right. That's right. The people there, the, the support, that was really, really special to see that collaboration. It, what was like the, the absolute low point for you physically? Uh, so there was a, um, I don't know, like in that last third, like my, um, I had a Fitbit, so I was kind of like paying attention to my heart rate and stuff and it just, it wasn't going down, but it was, um, the unknown of like, how far is this? Right. So looking back, like I, I believe it to be the truth. I don't know if it will be because I only know what I know. But it's like if you tell me it's going to be four hours straight up, I think I would have been able to handle it. But it was like the unknown. Just a little further. Yeah. A little further. And then um, so there was a point where we, we, were, we were going up the switchbacks. And I, I, um, it wasn't like a full running river. It was like, it was, uh, Tony's got some great clips of it. It was kind of like a, it was like a slimy, sludgy wetness. 
And I said, guys, I, I, I just need to lay in this thing. And I laid in it to kind of cool down. Mm. And uh, that was, I don't want to say it was demoralizing because it, it did what it needed to do, which kind of cooled me down. But through that, then my feet got wet because I didn't want to slow everybody down more and like didn't take my shoes and socks off. So I said, screw it. And I just laid in there. Well, my feet got wet, which meant my socks got wet. And all through that climb, like my feet got more raw and the blisters started the chafing, and chafing. And um, I don't know if I told you this. I actually still kept them. It's kind of creepy. I lost four toenails. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really bad. But the the, the worst part where I, I, uh, I started screaming to the guys out loud, just like, F it, was when we were, it was like, we were, I thought we were getting close. And then we plateaued. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why are we going down? Because if we're going down, we that go means we up. have to go back up. And I, I, you know, and they said, no, no, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's a real big deal. <laughs> so I think that was my, um, yeah, that's where I almost like mentally came undone. Yeah. You know, I think there's an idea, at least I, the way I related to it is like pain therapy. There really was something about being taken out of the banality of day to day, the banality of operating in the mind, yeah. in the intellect, being in a situation where that is of no value to think, to strategize. The only thing yep. that matters is to be here now and keep going. Mm -hmm. That level of clarity and presence was both refreshing and excruciating, but it's something that I've carried with me since. And, and there is almost a kind of a weird craving to to get yeah. back and do something like that again I, I feel when you said that i felt it because it's the truth um you know there um i think back to i think now i go back to the canyon as i call it and just say this what am i this isn't hard the canyon was hard yeah whatever i have in front of me this is not hard and that could be physical that could be emotional that could be you know uh professional work it, nothing's really that hard anymore to me. So when you really get out there and push your limits, um, I, I just, I don't know. I think it was a huge success. I mean, I'm, I'm I would, I'm going to go back there again and, uh, I'm training, I'm training for it and I'm going to do it rim to rim and I'm not staying over to rim. And that's, that's my, that's my longer term goal. That's the goal. That's my goal. So it's like wow. South side, you know, South, to north, um, go through that whole journey again, touch the top where the guys were like, take your last step out of here. And I basically crawled and then head back. That's, that's what, that's my plan. And you think you do it in roughly the same amount of time it took you to get there one way? Yeah. So it was 21 hours. I, I'd like to do it in like, I, I mean, it's, it won't break my heart if it takes me 22 hours, but yeah, <laughs> 21 would be, I, that would be a big win for me. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. Well, a lot of um, a lot of folks, myself included, just kind of assumed that we would do a rim to rim. And when I finished just one way, I was absolutely toast. Yeah. There was no way I was going to go back. It was mind blowing to see the guys that woke up if they even went to yeah. sleep and just ran back. Tony yeah. ran back. Randy ran back. Ben ran back. Um, yeah, it was really, it's wild to see what's possible when you're fully dialed in and That's fully right. committed. That's right. It, it's, it, it, all those guys are, are inspirational, right? The ones that went one way, inspirational. The guys that went both ways, 
equally inspirational. It's just, it's amazing to see what, you know, what else do we put limits on in our minds, mm -hmm. right? And my search now is like, why do I do that? And I've spent a lot of healthy time since I've got out of that canyon thinking about it. Not, not in the rearview mirror, right? Not beating myself up. Mm -hmm. What am I putting limits on? How do I break through it? And um, I can tell you this, as we kind of correlate it to property management, the, the business has never been better since mm. I got out of mm. there, right? And it all started with doing what? Saying yes. I was terrified, right? I was telling you before here, I, was, I wasn't terrified to go on a podcast, but you know, my heart rate elevates. But as soon as you asked me, I said yes. Mm -hmm. I say yes to things now. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't talk myself out of it. Say yes. So that's, um, that's just one of the gifts that I got out of there, but there's so many. How do you think about showing up at your best? What's the, what's the mind state? What's the presence of mind? What's the vibe of Jared on, on your best day when you're at your peak? Yeah. So, well, first I got to get there, right? So in order to get there, I do, I do three things when I'm on my best every morning. I work out for 45 minutes. I drink 36 ounces of water. I, I'm, I love uh, a good glass of lemon water. I look forward to that. I take about 10 to 15 minutes for myself. No electronics, nothing. Just sit. I don't read. I just sit. And I find a lot of things through just sitting in silence. Um, and then I like to educate myself and read. So I find if I do those things before I engage with other people, that's probably my best. Right, that puts me that puts me at, at an advantage to be my best. So you know, and then in terms of like interactions and stuff, it's um, and I've, this has also helped through time and also the canyon. It's like I've just become more honest. I've learned to say no. That's helped me a lot, being my best. Well, let me ask you a question that is personal and requires some honesty. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Throw it. When I think about my journey with entrepreneurship, my journey of understanding myself better, not pretending that what I'm doing is fully rational and I'm pursuing financial returns, but really I'm expressing my giftings, my abilities. I'm painting on the canvas and the template of my life using the God-given abilities that I have in order to scratch itches that I don't even fully understand, mm. but they're innate, they're deep. There's the two sides, the duality. There's the part of me that is happy, content, blessed, so grateful to be here, so grateful to have my dispositions, my giftings, and these opportunities. And then there's the side of me that is constantly discontent, that wants more, that looks at everything I've achieved and says, <laughs> it's not enough. It's a lot to manage. And one of the things that I've observed about entrepreneurs is that there is a compulsiveness, if you will. There's a compulsiveness that drives them on. And the things that make you great can oftentimes be your weakness. Is there any corollary in think in comparing the compulsiveness of entrepreneurship with the addiction specifically related to, uh, let's say alcoholism, for example, are there any corollaries? How do you think about compulsiveness in general, containing, managing? Yeah. I'd love to hear you riff on this. Yeah, that's an awesome, I love that, the depth of that. There's so much there to unpack. So, um, the easy part of it is this, like if it's something positive, like let, let it, let it run. It's like a fish on a line, let it go. Right. So if you know, well, that could be, you know, working out that could be working, but then it's like, I get that. It's like, am I working too much? When is it enough? Um, I, I struggle when I'm 
in that in between. So what I do is I choose, right? It's like, I don't, I don't want one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. So when I feel that in content, I make a, a direct decision immediately as soon as I feel it. So once I feel it, make the decision and the decisions either get going or stop, mm-hmm. but don't sit in the middle because nothing good's going to happen in mm. the middle. Right. Um, on or off. On or off, man, and that's that's what works. That's what works for me. Um, but it's 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 the immediate decision, right? And, and and then before that, this is the most important part. It's it's understanding when you're when you're at that feeling of un, I call it uneasiness. Where is it stemming from, right? But like to think, I've never met and never sat at coffee with breakfast or just a chat with an entrepreneur that was like. My, my life is perfectly content. I'm done. So like, it's part of the game and mm-hmm. it's either like you get that or you don't. And, you know, I, I, I can almost think like, if you, if you don't have that feeling, like maybe you're not a, a true entrepreneur. Maybe you shouldn't be in the game in the yeah, first place. It's just part of it. Right. So once we know that that's just kind of how we're wired, then we just got to not sit in the middle, pick one. That's how I see it. On or off. On or off. Yeah. I like it. I can relate to that. There's definitely a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And I think that that vacillation between the two, there's um, a whole body of work around social media engagement and what people get from it. Why is it so addictive? Mm. And one of the things that's been posited and articulated is the variable response reward model, meaning every time I log in, I'm not sure what I'm going to get. That anticipation, the possibility, and the surprise keeps people scrolling, keeps people coming back. I don't know the work is that dissimilar from that. You're you're playing the lotto. You know, it's the scratch yeah. off. Is it going to be a good one? Is it going to be a bad one? Yeah. There's something about that unknown that keeps people, myself included, coming back. And yet, there's also that desire for consistency to be centered, to mellow out. How do you personally manage your ambition? Let's talk about your ambition. Where do you want to take Marble Stone? What is, what is the path and, and what's the balance for you between raw, unadulterated ambition versus the quality of life that you want for you and your family? That's awesome. So the aggressive entrepreneur, healthy alcoholic says, let's, let's go to 1,500 units and let's get there in, in three years, right? The, um, the other side of me is like, why? And, and so now, now, now I've left foot on the dock and the right foot on the, on the, on the boat. And the why isn't driven anymore by ego, right? A couple of years ago, I'd been like, what, if you asked me like, well, why do you want to get to 1500 units? Cause I should mm-hmm. makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. It's the number it's yeah. the status, the ego man feed me. Um, now, we're, 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 we have a, we have a vision to, to get to 1500, right? But everything needs to be aligned. Doesn't need to be perfect. Right. But remember why we're doing this, we're doing, I'm doing this for people, right? So as long as those people are growing, we're going to continue to grow. The people stop growing. We're going to, we're going to tap the brakes until that gets right. So that's, that's kind of the, the vision and the mission. And it's, it's not a unit count that, that gets there. It's just mm. how many more people can we help along the way to get there? And the, my number is, is 1500 through the people. 
And the number is a proxy for the growth required yeah. to actually get there. Yeah, it's just reverse engineer. You can't get to that kind of a number and do things the way that you're doing it currently. That's been my experience. I can't scale what I'm doing to a much larger number unless I'm incredibly patient in terms of the timeline. Mm -hmm. To move to, to move at a at a cadence in a timeline that is satisfying, there's some change, there's some transformation, transformation, sure. there's some discovery of the limiting beliefs. And that's one of the most rewarding aspects of business. Yeah. When you think about your journey over the last 12 to 18 months, 18 months operationally in terms of the guts, the gritty parts of the business operationally, what have been some ahas and some breakthroughs for you and your team? Okay. So this is, this is coming from the heart. And it's the truth, man. So I've, I've made a decision to sort of, not sort of, I made a decision to step out. But before I could step out, I needed to give my team tools. Two of those tools that change the business, lead simple. And I'm not talking just about the lead part, okay? I'm talking about processes. And I knew that I wasn't an operator. So I got on the phone with your team. I don't even know if you know the story. And I was like, listen, I'll pay you but I don't want to do it. Uh, I'll sit down on the meetings and we'll kind of guide the ship, but I need your help. JP took us from, let's just say a little bit of chaos to zero chaos. Handheld us, was available at evenings. It was incredible. So step one, we got to get these processes in and we got to get some automation in there. Um, now, all of the team knows what we're doing. It's not, well, I don't know who's doing what. And, you know, it's, it's a process that we're following, right? It's beautiful. Now that that's set up, okay, are we really making money? Are things working right? That, that's where Profit Coach came in, right? So I sit back on that dashboard, like that thing's my baby. I love it. And because I can make decisions non-emotionally based off those numbers. And I can also find people that are much better than me to help me fix those things if they're broken, right? Internally and externally. So, um, those, those were, those are things that, um, you know, really change. I, I, I remember I sent you an email sometime after the Canyon and I was like, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but you, you may think that you're running a tech company, but what you've led us to and in, in me specifically is time. And that's, that's just an asset that you, you can't buy it, man. Mm. So I really appreciate you know everything that you've done in that regard as well, and I wanted to let you know that. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. That yeah. that's a, a beautiful share. I receive that. I'm blessed by it, and um, I hope that in the work that I'm doing, this is about this. I mean, this is what I aspire to being in the game. It's what keeps me in the game. You're doing it. It's easy to get commodified into management. You know, you're a rent collector. I just I sell widgets. The business is an opportunity to do as much, to apply as much or as little meaning as you choose. And hearing stories like that is intensely rewarding. It's definitely what helps me kind of get up and, and stay engaged in the game. So thank you for that share. That's cool, man. I hope, I hope it continues to let your fire because it really is has helped us. I yeah. mean that. I really do. One step at a time, man. That's it. That's the name of the game. Sure is. So as you think about where you're going to take things with your staff specifically, because people, 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 mm -hmm. training processes, what is the, the growing edge for your staff, upskilling, educating, um, 
I, I love your orientation. I want to I want to get your feedback and commentary on the idea that some people that got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. You can outgrow people. There's churn. There's all kinds of issues. It's complicated. What are you doing, particularly as you're stepping out and pulling back, to make sure that your team is continuing to grow? Right. So, I mean, we, we do what a lot of companies are doing, right? We, um, we run level 10 meetings, right? Keep everybody engaged. Spot check what's happening. But... My my biggest thing is I've got to just connect with more people. The people that we have now, like I'm not I'm not going to future trip on like what works at 350 is not going to work at 500. Mm -hmm. This is going to break. Listen, I get it because I went what worked at 100. What worked at 50 didn't work at 100. I get it. We can work through it, right? But I, I I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have some crystal ball or a magic bullet that I'm doing this and everybody should do it. I don't. Right. I, I engage with the team. I get down with them and, and say, what, what, what's working? I could tell you that by here, looking at these numbers, this is working really mm -hmm. well. Should we double down here? Right. And this isn't working. So why do we need more people? I believe very much in um, remote team members. Right. I think that that's like, that's a huge game changer. Um, tell, I mean, tell, tell me more. I want to hear more about that. This, this, this is both obvious at this point because so many people are doing it. And yet, there's still some resistance of folks that haven't fully, yeah. what was the aha moment for you? Well, I mean, my thing was this. So it was like, it, again, it goes back to limited beliefs, right? So I've, I've tried to do things on my own. I did like the whole like Fiverr, you know, <laughs> let me grab a guy sort of thing. And then it was like, nobody wants to train this person, whatever. So I've had some really good experiences and some horrible ones. Um, but recently I hooked up with, um, with, with Matt T and um at home at home vault and he was like oh we could find some like really skilled people and i was like ah, i just i don't like i tried to explain like i'm different i'm unique <laughs> not in my market um and we gave that a shot and and we've we got a woman from mexico perfect english uh one of our problems was uh, maintenance coordination, right? A lot of our techs speak both English and, and Spanish, but more fluent in the Spanish side. Um, we've we basically doubled the, like the maintenance side of things in terms of productivity since we brought her on. So it's like when you look at the ROI on that, it's like what else can we? Now it's a game. Now it's like how many more can I add? Right. And then, but I got to need to know exactly where they're needed. I just don't want to bring RTMs to bring them. But the other thing is it's the same is, is our, is our in-house staff local in Chicago. I, 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 once we brought her on actually before I'm like, like, what are your, what are your long-term goals here? Like is, is money your driver? What is it? What are you, what are you looking to achieve? And we really treat them as, as a, as a team member. So we we set a success plan for her, and I also want her to grow to buy a house as well. Like oh, if you're beautiful. on the team, beautiful. That's that's a deal. So, um, and let me tell you, if th th this woman's kicking ass, I love hearing that. Do you feel like that parlay as well, or you get more leverage in the context of having the systems and the processes built out? I feel like some folks hire an RTM, it doesn't work out, and come to find out that it, we're just weren't providing a lot of direction. Well, how, I mean, what are you gonna how are you gonna bring somebody in who really doesn't understand, you know, the, all the bells and whistles with property management. If you don't have some sort of guide, you're just throwing them into the, you're throwing them in the middle of Grand Canyon. Go get out. That's not fair. 
But if you throw them in the middle of Grand Canyon and say, it's going to be really hard, here's some water, here's a map, here's a compass, mm -hmm. at least they have a chance. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to check in with you every two miles and make sure you're doing okay. Mm -hmm. That's a plan. But yeah, you have to have a process. Otherwise, you're just, you're setting both, you're, you're setting your team up and, and the team member up for failure. That's not fair. That's not creating win-wins. What is stepping back and stepping out a bit mean for you? What was driven by that? What possibilities has it opened up and where has your time been reapportioned? Uh, I spend a lot more time working on myself. That's reading. I listen to two, I listen to at least three hours of podcasts a day. I read probably two hours a day. Um, and then I, I analyze from a high level, high level numbers. That's, and then I engage the other 30, 40% of the time with people, whether that's internal or external or relationship building. So that's what I spend my time doing. Um, what got me there was, um, I always told my partner, Erica, and my wife, and, and, and quite frankly, everybody involved, like, if I, if I get bored or I stop having fun, I'm out. And I don't know what that means, and that's not, mean, that's not meant to scare anybody, but, like, I'm going to help. I'm going to be all in on you guys, and you guys will be all in on me. So if you see me getting bored, check me. Mm -hmm. We're in this thing together. And um, I, nobody checked me, but I knew inside. I was like, this is, this is just not – there's more to life than this. A little, little rote. You know, but when I say more to life than this, I was in it. Mm -hmm. I was doing things. I was trying to be an operator, man. I'm not an operator, right? I'm a manager. Which is so interesting because as the founder, there is the guilt trip of like, well, you should be the operator. You should do all that stuff. You should know accounting, right. sales and marketing. When the reality is that the disposition to start, the disposition to just wildly assert that you're qualified to do this with, with yeah. no proof or demonstration it's kind of the opposite of like the responsible, faithful operator type. Sure. Yeah, I held on to that for a while. And I don't have an issue like delegating, but, you know, it's also like, am I doing this right? Like, or who's going to train? It was just so many, so many things. But where it, where it really started to click was um, my wife also decided to go all in, right? And Erica's just, she's a genius with, with people. She's super patient. Um, and with like the books she i don't there's nobody better hmm. right and it's like okay let's let's create some real crystal clear lanes here right like if you it's like it goes back to delegate and elevate right let's just get you in the top two quadrants let's get me in the top two quadrants and let's get rid of the rest of the stuff and when we began to take that serious that's one of the things and that was about you know 12 to 18 months ago that's when stuff really started to hammer down and then you add that right you add that to some profit coach where we're like, okay, cool. We have the lanes figured out, but like, like we're seeing money in the bank account, but like, where is it? Like, where is it coming from? Like, it's just one big bucket. Right. Right. Let's show like, and then, and then we got some clarity there and it was like, Hey, there's some opportunity to really push the pedal down. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't want to push the pedal down until we get the process. Sure. Right. So sure. And we, you know what I mean? It was just kind of this whole flow. And now, um, I'm ready to hit the gas, man. I'm ready. And we are, but we're doing it responsibly and, and we're, we're growing, we're growing well. So defining lanes, have some processes and, uh, you know, certainly accountability. That was the other thing. And that, that fell on me. I was, um, I don't know. I was kind of like the, the easy going cool guy in the office, like whatever. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And like, you can't lead like that. Right. And if my thing is about people, sometimes I have to have difficult conversations, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean all the time. And we can have a lot of fun, but that falls on me. I can't grow somebody if I'm not, 
mm-hmm. and that headspace to grow either. So that's why I'm like really big on like taking that time for me to work on myself. And the team knows that too. And, you know, you can catch me running all over the south side of Chicago once it warms up too. And they say, listen, go out there and run because a lot of times you come back all sweaty. You give, I always say, I give free hugs after the run. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's where the ideas come from. You know, I'll be running by the lakefront and I'll come back and I have whiteboards everywhere. And I'm like, listen, I've got, I got this and this and this and we'll break it down. And yeah, it's cool. So you're poised and you're staged for growth. You're able to apportion this time to keeping the vision clear. And clarity is always the most valuable thing. Clarity drives conviction. Conviction drives certainty. And that's what, where the, the seed germ of, of leadership comes from. As you're doing this reflection, as you're learning Give me a quick hit list of some books, some podcasts, yeah. some resources that have been really impactful for you. Sure. So um, I may not be everybody's cup of tea, but like if you're familiar with the, you know, the, the disc assessment, I'm a 99D, I'm a 99I. So this book works for me. Every year, first quarter, I read the 10X rule. I love it. Grant Cardone. It works for me. I love it. Right now I'm reading uh, Atomic Habits. Um, James clear. Yep. I like that podcast locally. I'm, I'm always listening to, uh, Mark straight up Chicago. Um, and I'm a huge, again, it's not for everybody. I'm a huge Andy for fan. So real AF is my, that's my jam. I like it. You did a 99 hard or uh, 75 hard. I did. I did 75 hard. I did phase one. I did phase two and I'm waiting um, intentionally. There's a phase three. So this whole thing that everybody hears about 75 hard, there's, it, it turns into a live hard program and I'm going to do that every year. You like some of the, some of that hard edge, don't you? I, I don't like it. I need it. <laughs> it keeps you sharp. Yeah. And it's at the end of the day, what I learned at the end of 75 hard was like, this was so grueling. But here's the deal. I effed off so much still when I did 75 hard. And I'm like, there is absolutely no excuse for me not to do this all the time. I'm sharp. I still have time to mess around. Right. And But that's a limited belief that I had. Oh, I'm not going to have time. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, man. You just got to get up earlier. Yeah. Get up two hours earlier and smash your stuff out. Right. Take a cold shower. Read. Like, it's all kind of normal stuff. I love the sharing, man. I love the energy. I appreciate you coming on. This I'm so, awesome. so glad to be in this journey and conversation with you. Until next time, brother. Thank you. Thanks so much. Peace. Hey, guys. Quick message on the Lead Simple front. We are hiring aggressively into a bunch of different roles right now. Head of customer success, finance and accounting manager, customer implementation pilots, customer success associate, software engineers, all over the place. So my question to you is, do you know somebody? Do you know somebody that might be interested or a fit for one of these roles? You can see the full scope at leadsimple.com forward slash careers. Head of customer success, finance and accounting manager uh, are the ones that we are focused on the most right now. But I'd love to have a conversation about any of these roles. So if you have questions, you can email me at jordan at leadsimple.com to understand the scope, the depth, and to know if anybody in your network might be a fit. We are a live crew, highly competitive, a little bit nerdy, and we love to have a really good time along the way as we work. So if this sounds like a fit for somebody that you know, love to hear from them. Thanks, guys. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? 
Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.